Let's have a word of prayer. We'll read the word of the Lord, verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Father, we come before you to understand the facets of love. Father, to come and understand something that is foreign to man. That, Father, without the working of your Spirit, it is a non-realization. Father, help us. Help us to see the brilliance of this wondrous text. Help us to understand that when we read chapter 13, we know that you wrote the book. That this is not the wisdom of man, the philosophy of man, the ideology of man. But Father, that this is the word of God spoken unto us this day. And we praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Interesting text, don't you think? Verses 1 through 3, he showed us the importance of it. He basically said, I don't care what your spiritual gift is. I don't care what your abilities are. I don't care what your talents are. I don't care if you have all knowledge. I don't care if you have all faith. I don't even care if you lay yourself up to be a martyr. If you have not love, you're nothing. You are a zero You accomplish nothing. There is no profit in it. It has nothing to its advantage. Verse 1, a loveless person produces noise. Verse 2, a loveless person is of no value. Verse 3, a loveless person receives nothing of value. Okay, that's the importance of love. So if it's that important, (laughs) what does it look like? Help me define this. All right? And love is, you know, uh, um, Linsky said it this way, love is the high priest of everything. Spiros Zodiati said it this, love is the number one ingredient in life. And yet, in the body of Christ today, I believe this is missing. I believe that the experiencing of this is missing. Uh, and I do know emphatically it is not an abnormal case because that is exactly what he's dealing with here with the church in Corinth. It is missing. It is missing. And because of this, Paul says love is missing, and, it, <clears throat> and anything minus love is what? Zero. Zero. And yet I find it fascinating that in 66 books of the Bible, love is never defined. It is never defined. It is described. I shared with you last week when we were looking at this, that in the original text, there are no adjectives. We have in this text, love is patient. Okay? The noun is love. Describing of it is patient. It's not, it's a verb, it's an action. And I shared with you that we begin this thing, and I call it 15 perfections uh, that will fill out 
the description of what love is. Love, need, we need to pay attention to this. It plays the most single important part of a Christian behavior. You can ha- do nothing if you do not use love in whatever it is you are doing. Even if it's your spiritual gift, if you are exercising your spiritual gift and you are doing it without love, it benefits you nothing. It has no fruit. What I do, what you do on a moment-by-moment basis will be based on the attitude of love. Love is in acting patiently, enduring, long-suffering. Love is acting kindly, being useful, being used up, being a benefit. Love is not envying. It cannot envy. It does not envy another or another's position. Love it does not boast. It is not. It cannot. It won't happen. You can't see it. Love cannot feel conceited. It's impossible. It's impossible. Love is not feeling conceited. Love is not behaving unbecomingly in the mannerisms of the day. Love is not seeking its own things. Love is not irritated at minor things or major things. Love is not thinking evil. Love is not rejoicing in iniquity, but love is rejoicing in truth. Love is enduring all things. Love is believing all things. Love is hoping all things. Love is lasting in all things. It's love. It's an action. It's a verb. It's a deed. Hate that, don't you? We're saved by grace. I can't have deeds. You better have love. Better have love. I'll give you an illustration. It's a light beam. And it hits a prism with 15 facets on it. Okay? And you have to have all 15 facets or you do not have the light beam, correct? Listen, and I shared with you last week, I concluded yesterday's or last Sunday's message that it isn't important your evaluation of this message or these messages. It is not important your evaluations of me, your analysis. I don't care what you think about my illustrations. I don't care about what you think the information is I give you. What is the single most important thing you're going to have over the next few months is that you put your life up against against the characteristics of love. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your children. Don't look at your parents. Don't look at your co-workers. It has to be you. The text here is not speaking in comparisons or contrasts. It is speaking to you. It's speaking to me. And that's the most important thing in this whole book. Nothing else. This contrast that he, or this comparisons, this descriptions of love in verses 4 through 7 just slap the Corinthians all to pieces. I mean, if you really think about it, what we've looked at in the first 11 chapters before we dealt with spiritual gifts in chapter 12, uh, how patient were the Corinthians? Just go backwards through the book and say, well, how kind were the Corinthians? Corinthians, Do you suppose you have any arrogance in the Corinthian church? Boasting in the Corinthian church. Were they bearing with one another? Were they enduring all things together in unity in the power of the Spirit? No. 
Basically what the Apostle Paul does right here in chapter 13, he says, here is love and here are you. And you know what? You and I need to do this. You and I need to do this. Here am I. And here are 15 facets of love that if I'm not producing, I'm zero. I'm nothing. I have no profit. I am noisy on my best terms. See what I mean? That's the most important thing that matters when we study this. Why? It's a portrait of Christ. And each and every one of us, remember, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, right? Each of your gifts is put together in the body of Christ so it can be a collection so that the manifestation of the people is what? The portrait of Christ. The portrait of Christ. Now, I'm struggling with this one because I really need to deal with the first two together because they're the flip side of a coin. And I kind of struggled with it, but as I go through it, I know that it's impossible. We will be here until next Father's Day. Or maybe July the 4th. Okay? Because what he says here, New American Standard um, translated patient and kind. All right? And what I, you will see in the original text, those are the, they're not the same. Okay? But if you take long suffering and flip it over, the other side of it will be what you and I translate as Kind. Okay? The word here that you see, love is patient, is macrothumio. The problem with this word is it is used abundantly in the Bible. Okay? And I want you to understand that when we think about patience, okay, I want to make this as clear as I can. This describes a long-suffering, a patience with people, not circumstances. Macrothemia is always dealing with individuals, personalities. There is no concern whatsoever in this word with circumstances or events. It's not saying be, be patient with your work position or your educational position or anything like that. It is definitely speaking, this term speaks solely and purposely on individuals. The concern here is people, is people. Here is the literal definition of macrothumia in light of this. It is the ability to be wronged and 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 have the power to retaliate as often as wrong and yet never even thinking of retaliation. That's macrothemia. There is absolutely no spirit of retaliation. None. Zero. Okay? There's not even an attitude of anger behind it. That's macrothemia. Okay, so when you... Now now listen, everybody's going to go, I don't sound right. Let me ask you a question. Where does this love come from? So let me ask you a question. Does God have the ability to retaliate when He's angered or wronged? 
And yet, what is his recourse? He hung on a cross and said, Forgive them, they do not know what they do. Now then, fruit of the Spirit is... I didn't hear too many amens out of that one, did I? I don't say nothing. Why, hell, you, I don't know what you just did to me. You just smacked my toes. I was angry at my husband this morning because he didn't appreciate my Father's Day card. I wasn't going to think about retaliating much. Told him to go out there and clean up the flower bed, and I, he didn't, and I didn't buy propane for his grill. <laughs> And he'll want to do a great big Father's Day thing and grill a steak, and he'll have to do it with a match. But I'm long-suffering with mine, sweetie. Listen, this is strictly a Christian concept. Okay? Writing in this letter here into a Greek culture, let me tell you what Aristotle said of the Greeks. Okay, this is a quote. The greatest Greek virtue is the refusal to tolerate any insult or injury and a readiness to strike back at any hurt, unquote. That was the Greek culture. Any person who would not retaliate when wronged was a sign of weakness. That's what Islam is. But you know what? That's what you and I are. You are a big man if you retaliate. You get even. Vengeance is a sign of strength. You were here at 9-11. What was your first thought? Well, they got some really bad pilots, don't they? (laughs) No, what was your first thought? When you found out Muslims did this, what was your first thought? There you go. How'd that work for you? That's our nature. How many of us ever thought, I wish to God I had the opportunity to share the gospel with Osama bin Laden. What an impact that would be if he gets saved. Our first thought, I guarantee you, was give us a target. That's all I need. Give me one target. We identify with heroes who strike back. We like that. We have movies about it. We have stories about it. It's courage. That's a man's man. Telling people off, standing up. That's heroes to us. To God, it is the very opposite of love. Got it? Now then, anybody want to just move on from here and study chapter 14? Love does not retaliate. It was a very new phenomenon to the Greeks that Paul was writing to in Corinth. But you know what? I guarantee it's a new phenomenon to you. A Christian is someone who loves. A Christian is someone who is hurt who is insulted, who is injured, and in a position to take vengeance, and never does. Never worries about getting even. Uh, The literal King James translation means long-tempered. 
Okay, um, my vernacular of that is long fused. Okay, Paul, the, the word appears a bunch. Paul says it was a characteristic of his heart. He was long suffering in his heart in Second Corinthians chapter six verse six. Paul also says it should be the characteristic of every Christian in Ephesians chapter four verse two. He said it's the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five. Love is patient. It is macrothemia. It is long-suffering. We need a model? Okay. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 said, God is long-suffering. He is patient. Even in the context of chapter 2, even in those who constantly are denying Him, constantly despising His patience, constantly turning their back on God, He is still... Long-suffering. Second Peter chapter 3 says he's so long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. But he's looking and longing. Listen, if you want to understand what long-suffering is, what the attribute of love looks like, what does it look like? Long-suffering is God. And I know, I know exactly what you're going to do right now. Well, that's God and I ain't Him. Okay? It's hard to model myself after God. I mean, gee, many crickets. He's perfect. What about Christ on the cross? He was 100% man, wasn't He? Neither are you. How much Holy Spirit you got, Rich? How much? You have the same amount of Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ had. So how much love do you have? Some of it or all of it? Remember what you're looking at. I'm telling you, you need to be in the ministry. And I'm telling you, if you ain't got your life right, you're a zero. You're nothing. You can accomplish this nothing. You can be as busy as a bee. That's why the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who died for me. I can't do this. Long-suffering? Christ on the cross says, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. And it's just the same response. But that's God incarnate. I'm not God incarnate. Chapter 7, verse 60, book of Acts. That one there is going to be a tough one to swallow. The man's name is Stephen. And as the rocks are crushing off of his body, he says, God, do not hold this to their charge. Bummer. No vengeance. No retaliation, no bitterness, no fighting back. Now stop for a second. What would the church be like if everybody was like that? Right now. You ever think about that? 
Nobody ever seeking revenge, bitterness, retaliation. Okay? Now then, I want you to take it a little more, because this, this is a fun text. I mean, you'll have a blast with this one here, buddy. How about your home? Take your home. Take the husband and wife. Take the children. Nobody ever seeking revenge. Nobody ever seeking retaliation. No one ever saying, all right, you don't do that. I'll get back at you. Watch this. And my wife didn't get my clothes washed. All right, watch this. I'm going to go to the grocery store and forget to get dishwashing soap. Okay. She's the one who uses the toilet paper in the house all the time. <laughs> Try paper towels. What would it be like to have a brother and a sister who never had retaliation to one another? Now listen, if your first thing you're thinking about is this is flat out impossible, if you believe that, then throw your Bible away and ignore it for the rest of your life. Because if it's impossible, that means God it is possible. And if He gave it to us, He gave it to us for a reason. What He's saying here is love can be wronged. It can be wronged, it can be wronged, it can be wronged, it can be over and over. You know what? He's saying that love can be wronged by the same purpose for the same thing over and over and over continually without relenting and in being it wronged. And it never wants revenge. Interesting thought. There was a great, a brilliant, they called him, atheist named Ingersoll. Okay, he lived in the late 1800s. And the guy is really smart. Okay, and he was a college professor. Need I say more? Okay, and he had this common practice that he would hold in his classes. He would hold, pull his pocket watch out of his vest pocket. He'd hold it up and he would say, God... I give you five minutes to strike me dead for the things that I've said. For all the things that I've done to mock you, if you're true, strike me dead. And he set his watch down. He'd wait five minutes and he'd pick it up and commence his teaching. There was a preacher in the south of London named Theodore Parker. <laughs> and people had watched Ingersoll do this on a regular basis. And they came to this preacher. He's not as well known. We had some other guys who were rocking the planet at that time, Spurgeon and a few other odds and ends. But this Theodore Parker, they come to him and they asked him about this. This man's an atheist. He says there is no God. If there's a God, all the things he said wrong, strike me dead in five minutes. And Theodore Parker was this with a smile. And I quote, And did the gentleman think he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes? Unquote. God is patient, isn't he? Isn't he? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. You know what? If God wasn't patient, do you know how small the church would be? I mean, have you thought about it? Look at the Old Testament. Look at the Old Testament Israel. 
Did Israel wrong God? I mean, we just go over and over and look at it over and over what they've done to wrong God and yet his patience. I mean, I think about him feeding the men every day, men every day, men every day, men every day. And they said, we're getting tired of this. All right, here's some quail. They bellyached. You're wandering around, we're all going to die in the desert. No, you're not. I give you water out of rocks. I give you shade to travel in the day. I give you heat of a fire at night. I'm taking care of your every need. But we're just wandering around and all and then get it. All right, fine. I mean, if I look at Israel, if I look at the Old Testament, I see the record of patient love against a rebellious, disobedient, sinful, and disloyal people consistently. Then I have to do but one thing. How about us? How about us? Why? We say God is love. Absolutely. But do you understand that because of that love, one of the facets of it is that He is... Patience sounds better, doesn't it? I don't like the phrase long-suffering. Why? But if you think about it, does He suffer long for us? Gee, many crickets. Anybody here obstinate against God? Disobedient? Rebellious against God? Anybody here think you can outweigh God? And I think about going to Israel and, and, and my studies of the Old Testament, and I think about stopping at times saying, Man, what a people! And then all I have to do is look up at a mirror and say, boy, I'm glad you picked them because you got practice dealing with them. I'm easy. <laughs> if God is impatient, we're gone. God is a long-suffering God. And let's be true, truthful about it. That is a seriously powerful feature of love. Okay. Now listen, I want you to get a hold of this. Listen, here's one of the things that you're going to, I struggle with this. I can tell you all of this and I can't make a single one of you even do it. Okay. I can tell you emphatically, Romans 5 says the love of God has been poured in your heart. What love is that? The one that is long suffering with you and I, that same love. And yet I watch Christians, are they long suffering with one another? How easy do you get your feelings hurt? How easy do you get insulted, despised? And when you do, what is your response? Nuke them till they glow and bomb them by night. Is that love? Listen, when you deal with people, if you deal with them, with love, and you're shining it through the prism here that I was talking about, this 15-faceted prism. You shine it through, long-suffering will have an amazing effect. It will have a supernatural effect. Um, I like history. 
I know. What can I say? And one of my favorite times is the Civil War in America. Uh, and it's just a fascinating time in, in our nation's history. But one of the things that set up the stage for the Civil War, I mean, earlier uh, that people don't pay attention to, is that Abraham Lincoln was a politician. He had studied law uh, and just in law books and had become a lawyer in Illinois and had run for several different offices and had sometimes he'd win, sometimes. I mean, uh, there was times you didn't even think he could be a dog catcher. And I remember during one of his political campaigns in Illinois that he had a, a man come out against him named Stanton. And Stanton liked to write editorials about Lincoln. And I was reading some of the things that he would state about Lincoln, and I mean, we're talking brutal. Okay, and he'd put them in print. One of them was that Abraham Lincoln was a low, cunning clown. Okay. He also made that Abraham Lincoln was the original gorilla. Okay. Because he'd make fun of the way he looked. And he, he wrote this quote, it is ridiculous for people to go to Africa trying to find or to see a gorilla. You can find one easily here in Springfield, Illinois. Unquote. Okay. Stanton literally hated Abraham Lincoln's politics. And was on him every chance he could get in print. Stanton came after Abraham Lincoln. You know what's amazing about it? You cannot find one word, one comment, or one quote of another person saying where Abraham Lincoln ever replied. He never said a word in response to what Stanton was saying, never once. It's not in print. There's nothing there. You can't even find somebody in print who said, well, I was sitting at a dinner table with Abraham and he said, let's stand. He's really the gorilla. No, you can't find it. Never can you find Abraham Lincoln making one statement to reply to the statements that Stanton had made. I find that fascinating. Lincoln was elected president of the United States. And shortly thereafter, we had this little fricass between the North and the South. The largest casualty rate of any American war was the Civil War. And going into war, President Lincoln needed a war minister. We call it Secretary of Defense. You know who he chose? Stanton. And a New York uh, Post reporter asked him, why? You know what Lincoln's reply was? He's the best man for the job. Okay? But I'm telling you that the long-suffering of love has an effect. Let me give you a quote of a biographer of Abraham Lincoln. Speaking on the night of Lincoln's assassination, quote, the bullet tore out Lincoln's life in the room and in the room that the president body was then taken, Stanton awaited the arrival of the dead president. Looking down into the silent face of Abraham Lincoln in all of its ruggedness, Stanton stood back with tears in his eyes 
and said, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Unquote. See, what's amazing is Stanton never, ever accepted Lincoln's politics. Never did. But he could not resist his patience. His patience. He couldn't resist the non-retaliating spirit of the man. amazing stuff. Remember when Peter looked at Jesus and said, I'll forgive him seven times. You know what the law said, right? The Talmudic law? Six. So I'll forgive him seven. Remember what Jesus' response was? Seven times seventy. Interesting thought. Okay, now listen. You can tell me that that's a God thing and I ain't Him. Okay? What do you do with Paul? We're going to do with the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I give up my salvation when Israel be saved. Hmm. What do you do with Stephen? What do you do with Peter? What do you do with Abraham Lincoln? Long-suffering. Now, I want to set the stage because I want to give you the flip side of this. Long-suffering endures the injuries of others. Okay? I guarantee you in this room, you have been injured by others. Okay? Understand that this patience that he's talking about has nothing to do with circumstances. Is solely and wholly focused on what? People. Because he says next, love is kind. See, long-suffering, macrothumia endures the injuries of other, and kindness pays them back only with good deeds. See, <laughs> It's easy to endure it, isn't it? People talk about you. People try to injure you. Uh, people try to hurt you. Treat, people want to cause schisms around the people around you and all the rest of it. But <laughs> can you now turn around and pay them back? Now, we don't have to work root word. I want to lay this foundation. We're going to close with prayer. I want to lay this foundation. The root word for kindness, okay, the root, the, the, the single basis root that this comes out of, you know what it is? You're not going to like this. Useful. Not only does it endure this pain, this, this injury, it will turn around and give to the person who's causing it something that is useful. 
Now then, do you see why I say it's supernatural? Listen, I have endured a lot of things as a pastor. Okay? But have you ever thought about what it's like to not only endure that, but now turn around and the person who has caused you the pain to give unto them in such a way something that will be useful to them? I'll give them something useful. This will help them. Let me humble them before the Lord. Is that useful? Is that useful? Let's pray. Father, I give you these words unto your spirit that our ears will hear. Father, I read this and I understand the impossibility for man to do this. And yet my King, my Savior, my Lord, you have overwhelmed us. You have filled us. We are yours. We are children of the heirs. We are ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords in the heavenlies. Father, help us. Help us to experience this love. Help us to know this in such a way, Lord, that people will know that we are children of the King. Father, this is difficult. And yet, Father, I pray, I beg you, I plead with you, my King. You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, let us humble ourselves inside of your throne. Let us rest full weight upon you, you alone. Father, help us. Help us to love as Christ loved. To his glory, amen.